And let's do three, two, one, clap, yeah? Three, two, one. I mean, that's definitely... That was the mouth as synchronized as you can get. I I was like... Seeing each other, I feel really good. I was like, did you guys clap? Because I didn't even hear you clap. I just heard I had one of the best claps of my life, and my waveform was perfect. So, uh, yeah, I think we all just perfectly found synergy without our eyes. Oh, (laughs) see, that's exactly how it goes. You're not paying attention to too many different kind of... Greetings, Earthlings. Welcome to Satellite, Profile Theater's online supplementary magazine. Satellite is where you will come for interviews with artists, activists, and educators, and whoever else might give you a deeper understanding of the work that Profile puts on the stage. With Satellite, Profile is always looking for new avenues to deepen our audience's experience of the art, pulling back the curtain, providing insight, and giving our audience a glimpse of the act of creation. And now... Welcome to Satellite. Hey folks, Tamara here, Profile's Director of Community Engagement, bringing you a behind-the-scenes look at the process of creating the show Awestruck by Christopher Oscar Pena, the first of three world premieres Profile is presenting this season. For this episode, I talk with Awestruck's video designer, Luke Norby, and with Scott James, Awestruck's creative technologist, which is a title I've never even heard of before. And we talk about how they are integrating uh, artificial intelligence into their process. Now, I don't actually know how widely the use of artificial intelligence, AI, is being discussed among the average human citizen, but uh, those of us who are working in the creative industries talk about it quite a lot. AI was, in fact, a significant factor in the recent historical actors and writers strike, uh, or strikes, I should say, Um, because of concerns that AI could start to take work away from those roles. But uh, Luke and Scott are super excited about AI and particularly the way that it is um, proving to be a huge asset in their process and letting them explore much more uh, and different things than they would typically be able to explore without it. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. So Luke and Scott, why don't you tell me sort of about how you two came together and a little bit about what your company does? Well, I mean, the two of us came together a long, long time ago. Um, and and really, uh, I guess the origin story is relevant to the three of us because we're all from Southern Oregon, I guess. Um, and I've known both of you for a good probably 20 years, if not coming right up on that. <clears throat> That's wild. So, um, oh. Scott, yeah. Scott, where are you from in, in Southern Oregon? I'm from Medford, just a okay. little bit south from where Luke grew up, yeah. Okay, so I'm from Roseburg, so I'm the most northerly, I think, of all of you. Yeah, of absolutely. Yes. Roseburg. Okay. For, for the Oregonian Mason-Dixon, you're like kind of riding the line. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, continue, Luke. I'm glad we got that got that figured out. Well, I mean, yeah. So Southern Oregon origin stories all the way out of all of this. Um, but this company specifically was something that both Scott and I found in New York. We did work here in Portland 15 years ago. We overlapped on a lot of on a lot of things. Um, we had different spaces um, that were kind of like artist collectives. It seems like kind of a, like culturally a different place, certainly like in, in a different piece of the gentrification cycle um, regionally here, because you could kind of get a whole bunch of space for like next to no money. And it was like half sanctioned artist spaces seems to be a little more around. And I'm sure that stuff is still around, but we've been gone for a while and, and, um, and that's what we were doing in Portland before we left. We both left around 2010, 11, 12. And when did we find Five Ohm? I don't know, 10 years ago-ish. Um, we, we had both been in New York for a few years. And um, it was actually through a mutual friend, again, of all of ours, who is Sam Kuznets. Sam introduced us to the owner of Five Ohm Productions, who is Graham Johnson. And Graham was the audio video supervisor at the Signature Theater Company there on West 42nd Street. Uh, a beloved institution and a storied building itself. It's just this 60,000 square foot massive four theater behemoth that was very well funded by the city of New York when the city of New York had like a whole bunch of money to spend on the signature theater and the public theater and also in Brooklyn, the theater for a new audience. And so Graham really had his finger on the pulse. He had been at Signature for a few years. They had been in that new, like that really new, fancy, cool space on 42nd Street for a couple of years. And Scott and I started gigging kind of around the audio video space in the off-Broadway theater community. And Graham um, Graham was quickly snatching up a lot of the uh, available work, just as, just as far as like kind of trying to uh, put a collective of audio video technicians you know, to work in a certain uh, pretty much non-union off-Broadway AV specialist, <laughs> you know, stable, so to speak. And he had his, you know, he had his gig at Signature Theater. And for a while, that was, you know, that was a regu regular place. And then slowly but surely, just more and more rooms stacked up and more and more people got together. And so what maybe feels like started as like a dozen of us turned into hundreds of people on the payroll and similarly like hundreds of rooms, you know, not, not only in New York, but in all the boroughs and then like in other states. And now here we are, Scott and I at least coming back to Portland and starting like a Portland chapter of this thing that we were doing in New York. And it branched out of theater and got into all sorts of different things, you know, like museum installations and corporate retail video walls and, and, and all sorts of experiential possibilities in the way that video can fall on all sorts of surfaces, not just projectors, but like LED walls and big, complicated, sophisticated systems that took, you know, a lot of people and a lot of time to plan out and execute and then, and then employ. So I'm I'm curious if you can help me understand what is the range of kind of projects that folks approach this sort of design collective for? You started like rattling a few things off. I think it's coming around here. Uh, Luke and I were talking the other day that now it seems all of a sudden that people are taking note of video projection. And, and what that means, and it's not, it doesn't mean a movie on a screen anymore, on a flat surface. It, it can be 
bringing a piece of architecture to life or bringing a piece of retail to life. Uh, and that's kind of the approach that we're we're coming at with Ostrak. You know, like the, the set design is very minimal and it's just geometry. Um, and so we're painting the set, we're bringing the set to life, but that translates to retail. It translates to tourism. It translates to experiential uh, experiences. You know, when you walk into a place and, and you have brick and stone and mortar and glass and all the lights are on and it's just a flat sort of experience. And then you turn on projection and you can change that volume. You can alter it, you know, somehow non-destructively. And I think that's the exciting thing. So to explain it in a simple way, light is magic. <laughs> and when you throw light and picture and color on a surface, you can change the perception of that surface. So who that's for is everyone. Um, so my mind is wired usually a little more towards the retail, towards the commercial, towards the commerce. Um, that's where my brain and Luke's brain, Luke is very much theatrical, uh, has a background there. So, you know, I bring the technology and the science. He brings the storytelling a little bit. And uh, um, I think this technology is for everyone. I think that video design is for everyone. I think it has um, applications across industry, across art form. Um, it's just an exciting place to be working inside of. And and Scott, this is kind of like the first, even though you've been around, this is the first one where you, you know, kind of from beginning to end, are we're getting to be a design team for a piece of theater, which is, that, that's actually a new thing for us. We have been a design team on many, on many things. Um, but on a piece of theater, this is actually the first time that we get to, to, to do this together, which is, for me, yeah. has been, it, it's been a fun it's been a fun departure from the things that we've that we've done otherwise, which we could talk about. But I'm interested, you know, like in hearing all of the things that that led you, you know, to production design to to projection design because you had a, just a, a vast technological, you know, uh, you have a vast technological influence, like preceding even thinking about projection design, right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I've always been a nerd. <laughs> I've always been a musician and a performer. Um, my, my history in theater is as a performer. And since joining Five Ohm, I've really been immersed into the, the back end of things and the, the technology of it all. And, you know, what feeds the magic, which is a great place to exist as well. Um, my immediate background was in advertising and fashion. I was a photographer um, and producer director in, in, all kinds of things, fashion, adventure, and advertising. So that's kind of the world I was coming from into the Five Ohm theater realm. Um, and then there's constantly a tug and a pull. I'm trying to pull Five Ohm into some commercial endeavors, and Five Ohm loves and lives in the theatrical and can live in both places. But we're like a we're like a big stick of taffy. We're getting pulled into to a new kind of shape that. Uh, that fits a lot of different molds. And I think theater is changing too. I think theater has come a long way as technology grows. You know, there, um, this show is a perfect example for technology changing the norm of the process of theater and evolving the theater and, and, the, and that process. Um, technology can speed things up. It can save time and money. It can offer 
um, ways to explore different avenues in a multitude of ways quickly and non-destructively. Um, so we're kind of figuring that out, but yeah, so I'm, I'm coming from the perspective of, I love to make beautiful things. I love to tell stories. I definitely love that convergence of art and technology. I think because I personally just lack that talent for the pen to paper artistry, like do not give me a, <laughs> a canvas and a brush and ask me to communicate a thought or an idea but you give me a large language model and a powerful GPU and a camera and some sensors and I will build you a world. <laughs> and it's, uh, so it's interesting. I, I think we're, we're on this verge in technology and art where new people are allowed to have a voice uh, that weren't necessarily allowed to have a voice before for lack of that manual dexterity or you know that, that muscle memory that is required of an artist to translate something from from thought to page and now from thought to screen is a much shorter journey and then from screen to stage well we're doing that right now yeah and <laughs> y'all were talking about um in the design presentation the other day the ways in which ai is making exploring a lot of different options and bringing concepts to life just to kind of see what they look like a lot easier maybe we can talk about that a little bit you know I'm very interested right now in talking to artists uh, whose uh, medium is digital about how AI is folding in or challenging or assisting etc etc um, but I'm I'm curious Sky I didn't actually did not realize that this was one of your first kind of hands-on theatrical design experiences. So I have to ask, what has been surprising? What's what's different about the process um, of designing for theater? Like, did you read the script? And, you know, like, yeah, how, what does your process look like and how has it been different maybe than other projects that you've been involved in? That's a great question. Um, and I think that a thorough answer is going to come on the other side of all of this, <laughs> since we're, we're just getting into it here. But what I can speak to is the traditional or what my traditional, I am learning a lot of the traditions. The theater has many, many traditions. And Luke is kind of educating me on like, no, 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 we do this first. And this person has to tell this person first. And then like, you know, there, there is definitely, I mean, it's like, a, it's, it's it mimics a corporation, but it's its own flavor. It's like, I would call it a mix between corporate and church. Um, my creative process professionally, like I said, has always been with advertising agencies and and clients. So like dealing directly with Nike or dealing directly with Wyden and Kennedy representing Nike. And we're building a multinational campaign and it's targeted to all these different audiences. And the messaging has to be slightly different, both visually and contextually and everything, slightly different for each target because you have to meet each person, each customer, each target where they're at. So those high level meetings were very different <laughs> than, uh, you know, a read through or a designer presentation and the metrics that you were judged on and what you were presenting and how you were presenting it and what your methodology was 
was so critical to to checking those boxes. You know, it, it felt like more of a form of like, if you can get through all these gates and unlock all of these doors, then your campaign gets greenlit and you get funded and you go to work. And then you get measured and you get quantified and was it a success, was it not a success? Theater has some similar parallels in a very, very, very different machine and mechanism. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's just a different, uh, it's a different river to float down. I, I think that there's way more in like, when you're when you're working with an ad agency, you have like an A, B, and C, and you work really hard on B and C before you pick A. <laughs> and And maybe like, just resource wise, you're never really afforded the that in in like a theatrical capacity because it's just you're working with less. You're just working with less resources. You don't have it. You don't have a couple pairs of designers trying different things in the background. You you know you're really having to <laughs> understand how to like manage the resources. So resources at, are spread differently. I mean, I agree with you yeah. that the resources are sometimes just non-existent in the theatrical world, but a lot of times in the commercial world, the resources are abundant two millimeters mm -hmm. away from your workstation, but mm -hmm. you're expected to rise to the occasion within your little box. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> which which that is that is a parallel with theater too. You know, it's sometimes like we got to get to this point in this queue where everybody has elevated their heart rate a little bit, but we can't afford that one last gobo to... <laughs> so we got to be creative. We got to come at the psyche in a different angle or, you know, tackle it from an audio perspective or... Um... Can you talk me through sort of chronologically, just like talk about your process? Like um, in this sh for this show in particular, like I'm curious about... Um, how you go from reading a script and understanding the story, like what is what are sort of the things that you identified and focused on to start to build your design on? So this is so script aside, we're looking at the functionality of the show. We've got a set that is two moving pieces in a volume, black sides and a rear projection screen. So blank, there's no paint, there's no, that we have one little tree that gets moved around, um, but it, this is a very much bare bones, blank canvas type of set. So in my mind, when I learned that and I kind of understood, all right, this is what we're doing, you know, beyond the first read of the, of the show and seeing that we had many locations, many scenes, many things, we have a, we're we're traveling the oceans. We're moving from continents in this show, so that's that's a big ambitious thing. So we are the projection designers. My first uh, task was let's build a workshop. So we need to build a space, virtual and physical, where we can realize our photons. You know, where we can spray light somewhere. We can understand where light is coming from, where it's landing, what that light is going to do, how it's going to transform and translate to the set pieces, just so we can imagine, just so we can work with the director and try things out and play. So my first task was to build the theater in virtual space to scale all the dimensions, everything. And this is a part of a previs process is a, a term that we use. Um, after I had all of that volume fully identified, fully calculated out, then we could put virtual projectors in and kind of test out 
you know, if we have this projector with this lens, we can get this much coverage, then we can start to have fun creatively. And I think we're just now at that spot. Tomorrow, actually, we have our first meeting with the director where I have a physical model in my house of the set set up and a projector running. Everything is mapped. We're using the same playback software we're going to use for the show. So essentially, we have a two-scale model in my living room to play with for the next couple of weeks. So that that legwork is the process we're in right now is like bringing bringing all that pre visual visualization, bringing all that simulation into reality so that multiple people can stand around the same screen, point at the same thing, even though it doesn't exist yet in real space and make creative decisions so that when we're all in the room, we're not, you know, twiddling our thumbs and just throwing spaghetti at the walls. We kind of have an idea of what we expect. And I think that's the best way to set this process up for success is to get ahead of it virtually first. Profile Theater invites you to become a member for part two of our special 25th anniversary season, The American Generation. This year, we will continue to celebrate the works of Christopher Diaz, Christopher Oscar Pena, and Lauren Yee, three of today's most celebrated writers. This season explores the works of Lauren Yee through a special reading series and will produce three world premiere plays from Christopher Diaz and Christopher Oscar Pena. Memberships start at just $65 and include member benefits such as behind-the-scenes events and exclusive member gatherings. Join us today and enjoy a hot new season of hot new plays. Get your membership now at ProfileTheater.org. So I want to circle back to uh, the large language model and um, how you are using it. I understand the the basics of the like large language model um, and how it. Well, I I know like that you you feed it <laughs> you feed it like. Like Audrey too, you you feed it large lang or you feed it um, text or whatnot, and then it you know starts to recognize patterns and can replicate. But so really detailed again, like to your toddler, um, when you are going through this process, like what does it look like and what does it um, what do you ask it? What does it show you? And then how do you take its suggestions and you know apply your very smart human brain and individual artistic sensibility to figuring out how to move that to a design so at a broad level um using ai as a creator and a creative process um there is no one method that is has emerged at this point it is the wild west it is in development it is every single week there's a new tool that's born and a new early early access beta to like play around with a new something something so it's it's a cacophony right now but i think to distill it down to a process with large language models they're really good at answering very specific questions so if you can kind of start to pick and choose what tools you use, well, let me back up just a little bit. With any creative process, it's good to know what your desired output is first. Like if you don't know where you want to end up, 
that's a different creative process. If you're just in blind ideation, but I don't think that's the case for us. You know, we have a script, we have, we have things we can point at, we have concrete um, things we want to represent, characters we want to represent, scenes we want to represent. So my process that I'm kind of attaching to this is first figure out a starting point. So with any of these generative models, you either have a prompt and that can be a couple different things. It can either be a text prompt, it can be an image prompt or a video prompt. These are called multimodal prompts because now the language models can, uh, they can see, they can hear, they can read. Um, all of those things combined give you a much powerful, much more powerful output. So when we're trying to create a scene, we'll create a plate first. So you create a prompt with one of the tools. Midjourney is one that we use a lot. Um, Leonardo is a good one. Blue Willow is a good one. Um, we create a, and then, you know, that gives us a plate. We can take that plate and put that into another tool called Kyber um, or Runway. Uh, there's several out there. Kyber is the one we've been leaning into. And then you you say, hey, take this image and find me the relationship between that one, give it a point A to a point B, essentially. Um, say, take this image and end up here. And then the robot will dream it into existence and it, it can get fractal and can get weird. Um, you need to give it a style that kind of guides where it's going. Uh, and then that gives you an output. And so now you have like an eight second video or a 10 or 15 second video, whatever you put in there. Now you have moving pixels. Now with those, you can either circle back and pump those right back into another large language model that will analyze video and give you, and then can generate a prompt for Kyber or for another output module. I'm getting into a tech blog now, aren't I? <laughs> we're a tech podcast. No, it's good. I mean, it's like, it, it just means that like, we're, we're like, we just have like, we have more things because the same way that that Scott is talking about how we would do that, like in a more traditional model, like we might go to a stock image site and find an image and then you know, um, we, we would take that image and a video and, you know, the point A to point B would all be just hand drawn by like keyframes in an editing program. And here we're getting, we're getting to try new things and, and like explore new textures and new ways of building these things, you know, like without even, you know, even though it's not handmade, you know, it that just means we're not giving the computer the dots to to connect. It's connecting the dots itself, which is like that. That's that's what's so kind of like astounding it's about the mind blowing it. part. Yeah, there, there's it's, none of that human iteration. It's literally generative iteration, and then you get to be regardless of who you are in the in the pecking order. You know, you could be the designer, you could be the associate, or whatever. But now we're all creative directors. Now we're all sitting at the cutting room floor and being like, "All right, I have 50 iterations. These are the three that I want to pass along into the pipeline." You're you're just making stuff because you can that quickly as opposed to like spending all of your time, you know, taking the four hours that it would have took to do that generative work by hand, it takes four seconds now. 
and yeah. and and it does all of the really hard work for you. And if you want to if you want to go back and rewire it by hand, like that option is also available to you. <laughs> They're like, hey, and that's how do... we're using it. You know, we're taking yeah. all of these outputs and we're slicing them up and manipulating them and going back to that classical methodology because that's what's required for a, a plot or a storyline that's so specific. The algorithms can't possibly, you know read that subtlety into it but to create those pieces to slice up and to manipulate we're just there much faster now well and because we, we, we talk get to that point yeah and because like this is the way we talk i think it was also scary for josh coming into the conversation where he was just like wait a second what are we like this is all too like maybe too too much so when we were talking i mean we went back to the the regular old model where i really did have you know, just a traditional old, just a good old fashioned Neanderthal Google folder full of stock images. You know, like that, the cavemen did. <laughs> just like the cave people did um, <laughs> with Google Drive. And uh, <laughs> and so, you know, I, I did have that. I had like stock footage and stock things that we had used to kind of like have conversations in a generative way. But what we had talked about is kind of a design conceit. It's like there's a lot of language that happens and there's nothing at all happening as far as like the movement of the projection. And what they were looking for was just kind of still life photoreal imagery that was going to exist as the set itself. We're in Wicker Park, Chicago. We're in um, the Lone Star tech, you know, taco shop. Yeah, the, 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 the big star taco shop. Uh, or we're, you know, we're at O'Hare Airport or we're at this kind of like unnamed destination in, in suburban, in a suburban home in Central America. Um, and so all of the images that were kind of, again, in the more traditional, like I did that like work. And then also, you know, we added this whole other element. So when we, by the time we got to meet with Josh, we were like, well, here's kind of like what it would look like if we did it the old fashioned way. And then, what he was asking for was really palette cleansers from that still life kind of wallpaper that that's that's on the that's on the um, set for the scenes. Like what's happening in between is like our moment to to use some of these more colorful and textural elements um, as the set is moving and as the video is moving on the set. And again, like you know, we're we're there's constraints. Like if we if we had if we had an unlimited budget, we, we really would track the video onto the set and we would, you know, employ black tracks technology and have all the tech time for that. But like, it is kind of fun. We get to figure out creative ways to make it seem like that's happening without actually like probably employing the hardware that makes it like really hardcore precise. So it is a fun blend of like the things that we would be doing in a hyper precise environment, but we're also kind of doing it in this, you know, still punk rock downtown theater. Like we're so far off Broadway, we're going to fall into the Pacific Ocean over here. <laughs> but since we're able to pre-visualize these things, I mean, these are, we we can sort of bootstrap it and, uh, you know, avoid the expensive technology because we can crash and burn over and over and over in virtual space <laughs> until yeah. we figure out how to get it right. And then we're going to have some hiccups in physical space because it's different. But at least we're we're more than halfway there. And, and that's where the process, this little alteration of adding technology to a very ancient process <laughs> Is yeah. uh is great, you know. Do you think that the audience experience, you know, is uh I don't necessarily agree with this, but there's that like kind of saying in 
um, the theater about like if sound design is done well, you it you don't notice it or whatever. I don't necessarily agree with that, um, but uh, it, I, do, I think yeah. I can agree with that. Like, cause it, cause it, if it is done well and it and it just becomes an ornament in in a larger ensemble effort like that, I can apply. I absolutely applaud that design if and when I notice or don't notice it in the right way. <laughs> but also like I like as a designer, like I just like when I see something, um, when I see something that that makes me feel like, oh, that that was a cool choice. Like, you know, it's something that lives inside of the world of of the ensemble work. And sometimes, yeah, you want to just show up in the background and, and never and like hopefully hopefully never no one ever even knew you were there. But I really like it when I see something um, where you're like, oh, that that was cool. That made, you know, like, oh, that was a cool choice. You know, it, it, it elicits a, a broader interpretation of the piece. And for the most part, I think most people just it just all that stuff happens in the back, background. Nobody thinks about the chord structure or, you know, the quote from the song that was, you know, referenced in the script. Um, but I, I, I think that there's like a, there's, there is like a select audience, you know, and, and it's like tuning in to, to the cool for those, for those people who are listening for that frequency band, so to speak. I think I'm, I'm with, I'm with that cool audience. And I think Tamara, <laughs> I think you're part of that cool audience too. I, I'm of the school of thought that yes, every department should have their moment to shine, just like in a band, you know, like a good rock show. You got a solo, you got a second, you know, like there should be a moment where projection is like, shut your mouth, you just did that. And <laughs> sound design should be like, take your breath away. And lighting design and the same, you know, I remember the first time I saw the epic Harry Potter on Broadway, there was one gag that projection design did. And it was the it was like the portal moment where they literally just shined a projection of the exact proscenium and then they warped the image. And that was like the time warp teleportation. And it literally takes you out of time and space. It was a transform transformative experience, but it definitely took you out of the play where you were like, oh, that was tech. That was a lot of tech that just happened right there. So I think there, I think there's an ebb and flow and I think there's a, a place for, for for some moments, but but they have to serve the story. That always has to be the case, um, which is the case in commercial development too. You know, like you want to make that splash, you want to disrupt a little bit. You know, the theatrical environment needs to be poked a little bit. It needs to be jostled. But I bet we have the tools. The tools are here, and. It's just about using them creatively and in the right pointed way. But I, I don't think that we should steer away from flexing on on any level. Uh, both audio and video um, are great senses to tickle. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm wondering when you're, you know, maybe average-ish, like not a designer themselves, not a musician themselves, um, but maybe uh, a keen observer of theater who can appreciate uh, choices. You know, will, do you think people coming to see Awestruck are going to 
see the projections in particularly and be able to know based on what they've seen before that they're seeing something a little bit different or more advanced than they typically see or is that even fair is is what is different more in the process rather than what where it's going to end up or is what ends up on stage also going to be different a hundred percent i think this is all about the process you know we're we're trying to bring something to the process that allows said process to arrive at the creative end result quicker and more efficiently and more cost effectively i don't think that any of this technology should disrupt the artistic voice or language of the show and you know employing these different technologies is not going to change the artistic vision of the outcome of the story so yeah no it shouldn't get in the way technology should never get in the way it should only augment and and support what the, yeah, what I, the core message is yeah i i and and like it's hard to like try to babe ruth any anything before we step up to the plate with this whole situation but I, I feel like with the content that we're dealing with and the way that I've heard Josh asking about the ways that, that we can be involved, you know, as our department, because, you know, the, this play is asking a lot of the people that are sitting in that room, you know, like the, it's asking a lot of uh, people that are participating in this story. I do hope that we can kind of like find a language that helps what I would, for lack of a better term, like a palate cleanser, you know, like I hope that I hope that we can find that language. Um, that's what th- that's what I'm excited about. Um, as far as like the the design process is is finding the moments in between um, that aren't in the language that are you know that are kind of that are hidden in the script somewhere, and we're kind of like all figuring it out together. Um, but but I hope that that those are are good moments. That kind of like help this play, you know, the pacing of it, the 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 way that the people are able to digest, like some pretty some pretty sensitive and heavy source material. I definitely really appreciate projections uh, when they are done well, and uh, I feel like more often than not, when I have seen them, they've been very distracting and not always done well. I think that's because I was spoiled, Luke, by you being one of the first video designers that I worked with and then working with Sam Kuznets for so many years. But um, I have always thought that Josh as a director uh, employs projection design incredibly well. And both of you seem to have a really strong sense of what you're doing. So I'm very excited and hopeful to see the final result likewise thanks Tamara. we'll see you soon thank you okay bye. Right, bye thank you so much for joining us for this episode of satellite orbiting our production of awestruck by christopher oscar pena awestruck opens saturday november 11th and runs through sunday november 19th at imago theater in southeast portland We've added some Saturday matinees and some Sunday evening shows uh, to this run to make up for the fact that it is only 
um, showing for two weeks. So please head over to profiletheater.org and get your tickets. And we hope to see you at the theater.